And we are live, guys. Good morning. Good evening for some. Uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. How's it going? We got SOS Conference. We promise, okay, some of the ladies will join us. Um, and they might join us late, but they're coming. We've got a very special guest, Scott Stout, the CEO of Medvector. Um, I'm actually interested. I'm curious to learn more about site-centric technologies, especially when it comes to DCT. Because, you know, if you're like a traditional site, you hear those three letters, you're like, wait a minute. Like, I'm digging my own grave if I get on board with DCT. What's going on? So we're here to kind of shine some light on this. And myself as well. Like, I know very little about Medvector, admittedly. And I'm going to use this as an opportunity to learn more. And you guys bring your qu your questions, your comments uh, in the chat. We have Dr. Fox from CRPN Network. We've got Brad Hightower, Hightower Research. We've got Chris Sauber, who's the official Save Our Sites logo. And I don't know. He's there, guys. All right. It's not our AI that we made. It's actually Chris. Chris, are you there? Hello. There you go. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, can you wave for us? Let us know you're okay. Um, I'm not okay. <laughs> so, Scott, thank you for joining us on this live and for letting us know a little bit more about Medvector. And I'd be curious to hear some of the questions uh, from Dr. Fox, from Brad, from Chris, and from anyone out in the community about Medvector. And I hear good things. That's all I know about Medvector, which is why you're on. I hear good things from these two guys, Dr. Fox and Brad. So good morning. Thank you for joining us. Thank, thank you for having me. I mean, you know, um, if are, are we going to make other introductions or are we ready to rock? Yeah, they know the rest of us, except Chris, but they're still not going to know him. <laughs> well, aside from the mystery man. In the, in the of, well, so I'd love to kind of start with where you brought the DC, DCT conversation, right? And And it's an interesting concept that the majority of the industry aside from you dan seems to be behind the dct concept but it's really struggling to take hold why and i think i have the answer for that so when we think about dct right we're we're thinking about how do we bring the study to the patient and that sounds great because now we're creating a bunch of access points for patients but effectively what are we doing Conceptually, we're bringing the study to the patient, which means essentially we're removing the study from the clinical trial site, and now it's over here somewhere. And so there's a real lack of regulatory clarity about what to do next, which is preventing everybody from kind of pulling that trigger. So, and, and what do I mean by this? It's, well, who needs to be on the 1572? Well, the answers that we get is, it depends. What does the IRB think of this? Well, it depends. What do we do with IP transportation? It depends. So there's just this lack of regulatory clarity behind DCT. So Dan, you might like this about Medvector is that we're actually not DCT. We're kind of DCT adjacent or, or as I like to say, we're the opposite of DCT. So instead of bringing the study to the patient, what Medvector does is we bring the patient to the clinical trial site virtually. And it's a, it's a basic flip that kind of happens in your head right? But we're bringing the patient to the clinical trial site virtually. 
So the patient is at the clinical trial site, right? So where's the study? The study is now still at the clinical trial site. Where's the data? The data is still being collected at the clinical trial site, right? So all of this regulatory clarity uh, becomes more clear when the patient is at the clinical trial site. They're just there virtually. So, so MedVector is not... MetaVector is not attempting to be a site. It's attempting to be the pipes connecting the patients Correct. to the sites. We are all about site empowerment, right? So we are a site utility that enables treating physicians. So we're talking local specialists in your own area. So we enable these local specialists to host clinical trial appointments from their practice using MedVector's technology. So, so this is telemedicine. There are other decentralized tools that we can use to do this, but essentially it's telemedicine. And the reason that this is so important, the, the industry likes to think about being patient-centric, right? Well, we think it's actually important to be physician-centric, and the, and the treating physicians have been left out of this entire equation, right? So <clears throat> how do we engage those treating physicians, and how do we how do we make them feel safe in referring their patients? Well, the answer to that is allowing them to host these appointments from their practice. So now they feel like they're maintaining control of that patient relationship and we're using telemedicine and we're virtually moving the patient to the site. So the site and the site employees are still responsible for 100% of the protocol, 100% of the compliance, GCP, data entry. So Okay. The data point for a MedVector participant is identical to the data point of a walk-in participant. So, what? okay, so so that I understand this better, and so I could understand where this is headed, are patients recruited at the local level by the sites, or does MedVector help with recruitment? And are out-of-the-area patients served by MedVector and is that the point of doing this? So the out of the area patients will eventually be served by MedVector. <clears throat> so that's the distance gap. And that's kind of the first place that everybody's head goes is, is, all right, well, the patient's too far away. Let's use MedVector to connect them to the site. But there's actually a bigger opportunity here than just that concept of, of the distance gap. There's the patient equation is actually broken. Right. So so the patient equation is patient identification plus patient access equals enrollment. The entire industry is focused on patient identification and nobody's focused on patient access. So MedVector will argue that if you ask a local specialist, do you have patients that are a fit for my clinical trial? The answer is yes, 100 percent of the time. But you have to get to that local specialist. And the only way that that local specialist is going to refer patients to you is if they believe that they're maintaining control of that patient relationship. And MedVector enables the physician to maintain that control by hosting the appointments from their practice. So instead of thinking about this as, a, as alleviating a distance gap, let's talk about across the parking lot. Let's talk about that physician that's right in your backyard that you know exists. So we like to ask sites, is there a local specialist that should be referring patients that isn't? The answer is yes. yes. Right? The answer I've is got yes. two in my head right now. I need to talk to you. <laughs> exactly. And usually it's a story of frustration, just like that. It's, it's yes. And I've taken her out to dinner three times. 
And each time she says she's got 10 patients for me and she's yet to refer any, right? So this is that story of frustration. So this doctor is already in your backyard. It's somebody that you're trying to work with. Medvector wants to be introduced to that treating physician and we unclog that pathway. So they can now refer patients to your clinical trials, but maintain control of the patient relationship from their practice. And when we're talking about across the parking lot, there, it alleviates a lot of the logistics concerns. How are we getting IP to the patient walking across the parking lot? But under this theory, so under this premise, what, what's the problem that, that you guys think that those specialists, they don't want to refer patients to me because they think I'll steal them? Or is it logistics or like why? Because to me, it just seems like I can't get time to talk to them about research. But once I do, they're interested in it. Well, so a lot of them are interested in it. Um, and, and Medvector can actually act as a, as a pathway to them becoming an, an investigator for you. Right. So this is kind of a way for these treating physicians to dip their toe in the water. But what we've seen is by using Medvector, it enables their practice to participate in the revenue. And so especially like let's let's talk about a surgical practice, for example. Right. So a surgeon makes money when they're in surgery. And when they're in surgery, the practice essentially sits idle. So using Medvector, we can facilitate clinical trial appointments from the local practice while the surgeon is in surgery because we are not creating a sub-eye out of that surgeon. And now we're, we're monetizing patient data and we are uh, creating revenue for that local practice by hosting these clinical trial appointments from, from the office. It's very interesting. I mean, I'll kick in on that if that's okay. <laughs> yeah, please. Um, I'm processing. I've I've spoken to so many different doctors and all of those doctors, they, you kind of hear the same thing after a while for the physicians who are not interested in research or are not interested in referring their patients. It goes across a number of layers. One is one of the obvious ones is patients are my customers. I really don't want to refer them away. Um, we have heard what's in it for me if I refer them to you, but then we have to be very careful with compliance law and things like that. You've got physicians that say, I don't want to deal with the paperwork of being a an investigator. Um, and therefore, I don't see an access to research for my patients. And then finally, you've got those physicians that say, uh, I really want to be an investigator, but I don't know where to start. And if I can't get my physicians onto trials as an investigator, I want to give them the opportunity with someone else. That's generally what happens. And what we're finding as we discuss Medvector I'm discussing Medvector with my site partners is it's often uh, just like what Scott was saying, not necessarily thinking about trying to offer research to the other side of the world as a site, but actually expanding your site footprint for community outreach. Mm -hmm. So you and can, this is yeah, clinical trials as a care option that like, this is, this is how we get there. So the, we, we give doctors a bad rap right? Because they don't refer to clinical trials. We say, oh, they're, they're, they're greedy. They don't want to lose patients. They don't want to lose revenue. Like this is kind of the conversation, but the more doctors I've talked to, I, I believe that their motivation is more romantic than that, right? I genuinely believe that the majority of doctors feel that they are the best person to care for their patients. Now, when we, when we think about the referral process of doctors, right? A doctor makes a referral when they know 
that they are no longer the best person to treat for their patient, right? So if you have a heart condition and you meet with your GP and they, they find something interesting, well, then they're going to refer you to a cardiologist because that GP is no longer the best person to treat your condition. And they know that. And that's when a referral comes natural. Now, when we're dealing with specialists, the referral, it, there isn't really like a super specialist, right? So the referral, especially for a clinical trial, now we're talking about a single medicine. We're not talking about a whole care package, right? So referring to a clinical trial is like referring to a pharmacist. Who's going to maintain the rest of this patient's care when I know that I'm the best person to do it as a physician? It's an, it's an, it's an awkward ask for these physicians to, ref it's like referring to a CVS. Who, who's going to, what? No, this feels, this feels weird. So if we can get to a place, which I believe Medvector has figured out, to where a treating physician, one of these specialists, could essentially prescribe a clinical trial, not just the medicine behind it, but prescribe the whole study and feel that they haven't lost their patient to where the patient is there, they're still the main caregiver, and now this is just an, an ancillary part of that care package. That's where the solution is. And that's where we'll start to see more and more referrals because the patient is in the office. Sheer curiosity, the doctor's gonna say, how's it going? How do you feel? Interesting. I might have five more patients that are just like you. And so this is how we really expand the clinical trials as a care option. And it's by engaging our community specialists. And by the way, this also is a huge win for diversity, right? As far as getting referrals from diverse physicians. So this is kind of step A for, for Medvector. And it's all about the physicians that are right in the backyard of existing clinical trial sites. We are not trying to run studies. We are not trying to act as a CRO. We are not hiring doctors. We don't want anything to do with data entry. We want to be that conduit. We don't either. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, want you to, we want to empower you guys to have more patients, greater volumes. More so patients. it's, a, I mean, okay, I'm hearing this. It's, it's good. It sounds like there's potentially could be more work involved for the CRC. Like, does the CRC have to manage this portal and let that specialist know, hey, you didn't log in. What happens like when that specialist forgets their password and says, hey, I don't have time to reset it. Then they let that coordinator know, hey, what's going on? What what meds are you putting my patient on? Which ones did you take them off? It could it, it could potentially cause like more work for the CRC. Um, so it could. In fact, it probably will create more work for the ecosystem. But the point of this isn't to streamline the clinical trials for those involved. This isn't the next new e-thing. This is about access to patients that otherwise you don't have access to. Mm. This is about getting medicines to market more quickly so we can help people. This is about helping uh, underserved communities with care options that otherwise they couldn't afford. Um, and to answer your question about the password and login, that's actually something that, that we spent a lot of time uh, trying to figure out in the beginning because we don't want a treating physician. We don't want to have to do any training at a treating physician's office. Yeah. <laughs> right? So They don't either. So we, we, created, we created this thing. This is the Medvector window. It's telemedicine. It's nothing fancy. But it's telemedicine without a password. 
So think about, think of this thing as a tether to your office. We call it the MedVector window because it is a window into your office. Nice. So the device knows where it is. It's no, it knows why it's there. So essentially when, when we schedule an appointment working with you, then we make sure that this device is at the patient location and all the physician has to do is hand it to the patient. That's it. I see. Touch here to connect. There's no passwords involved. One of the questions that we get a lot with the no passwords is how are you verifying the patients who they are without a password? And I asked him, I said, well, do you ask patients for a password when they walk in? He go, well, no. So well, what do you do? He said, well, we ask them for their ID. Okay. So ask them for their ID. It's not hard, right? To, to verify a patient is who they say they are, not to mention MedVector already has the device where it's supposed to be and is connecting to the proper investigator team. So, so there's added security uh, it, that's built into it. And our goal is to make sure that this is a no lift for the treating physician office. Yeah, and I think even to further address, you know, Dan's point, I mean, it is more work for a site, but I mean, that's kind of the point too, right? Like we want access to those physicians and their patient bases. And I've seen it be, and I think even beyond, you know, we've, we've used it, we've, we've experimented and we've, we've, we've tried it. It works. Um, I think it can potentially really be a game changer for, you know, your site and site development, because you can, you can get into, to, to Dr. Fox's point too. I talked to a lot of physicians. It's not a hard sell to get them to want to participate in research to some degree or another, but this really provides you sort of a conduit to adjust that because again, not everyone wants to be a site. Uh, and we already talked about why physicians don't always want to refer, but it's kind of, again, a lot of what we do, you guys too, it's about getting rid of barriers and lowering burden as much as possible. And this does that. Again, you've got this in your office. Stick it there. Yeah, we're going to have to do more work. We may have to help identify patients, but it also gives you a reason to get access to maybe to their EMR, which is a big, a big plus as well. You're going to be able to open up the door there. Uh, so it's more work on your end, but again, that's... That's the point, right? I mean, that's why we do what we do uh, is to make it easier for the physicians and, and patients to have access. And I think this is one of the few tools that truly puts that power like in the hands of a site. Uh, you know, again, DCT is a big deal, but I feel like it's always sort of like <laughs> outside our control, you know, sponsor walks in and says, uh, here's a home healthcare company, you're using them. You don't really get to pick whether or not you know, who you get to work with or what the case is. But this, this does truly provide you the opportunity to, you know, find uh, physicians, make relationships, get to patients you wouldn't otherwise get to. So I think we haven't even seen yet the powerful or the, you know, how powerful it can be in terms of, of developing your site further. Yep. Yep. And I can say on the uh, diversity level, I think everyone on here knows this, but I'm really strong in the autism community. This is going to be a game changer for autistic populations to be in clinical research. I just, I'm, I'm working on that. I'll be working on that with MedVector. Uh, but what I'd really like to know is we've got all kinds of cool questions in the comments here. If you want we've to got address tons. Them. Yeah, we've got, and some will take us down rabbit holes. Um, but Scott, just one more thing. So I'm clear on this. Okay. So let's say I found a cardiologist across the street from my site. I've been trying to get her to refer, but, you know, she's busy. Okay, let's say she says, okay, I'm willing to do it, which is a lot of work just to get her to do that. What's next? Like, if I were to use this, I take this iPad to her desk, 
and put on her desk and then put one in my desk and how does it like when she sees a patient what does she do like turn on the ipad or what what happens so so the the few layers to that question so the the next thing is is we would say introduce us to that physician and and to give you an idea of how receptive physicians are Brad and I, we walked into a uh, local specialist uh, in Oklahoma. We showed him this. He got it right away. You walked um, in cold or Brad knew this guy? Brad knew him. So okay. that, and, and that's that's kind of the point. And we want those kind of warm introductions. We can't it was, do it. It was the same problem, though. Like, I had spoken with the guy. He's in a rural area. I couldn't get him any trials, really. And he was a little too far away to send his patients, you know, an hour and a half trip up the road I to come you. see me. So he was sort of one of these guys that I feel like, I experience so often they're in this middle ground of interested, so, but like you can't really throw anything in his lap immediately. I yep. gotcha. He he was so excited about the opportunity to offer this clinical trial to his patients from his practice that he gave high tower clinical access to his EMR on our drive home. Wow. How'd you do that, Brad? Wow. How many beers you buy him? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> didn't even have to wow yeah and, and so that's that's how excited they were and you know to, just to give a perspective of of how critical it is working with a local specialist so the whole industry is is chasing data right now right it's this patient identification component so everybody looks at this as what's the biggest healthcare system i can partner with because the more garbage i put in the top of the funnel the more garbage I get out the bottom of the funnel right well we believe that, that it's more relationship-based than that. Patients, so, so clinical trial candidates are not medical mysteries, right? They typically have an existing diagnosis. They're typically on an existing medication, and they typically have a relationship with a treating physician. So if we start to focus on the access component of this, then we win. And we really unlock some doors. So let, before we get to the questions, guys, put your questions in the comments. We're going to get to all of them. I wanted to get the panel, specifically Monica and Chris, if they had any questions. But let's let's take my little thing like two minutes further. Okay, so this doctor that Brad found, iPad on his desk, iPad on Brad's desk. So when a patient comes, like what what happens? Like how does that actually work? Well, so it's all very protocol specific, right? And And – the best way to think about med vector isn't per protocol, it's per appointment. So it's visit centric. So some visits will have complexities that make doing it remotely challenging, right? Some visits are very basic. You know, we're talking basic labs, um, basic physicals, things like that can be done via telemedicine with the help of a local nurse. Um, and so similar to a home health visit, we're just swapping the home with physician office, right? So no, nobody's added to the 1572. There's, you know, there's no delegation. There's, there's no deviation of protocol. This is a site utility and a site decision. So in facilitating that appointment via the med vector window, it's let's, let's discuss what's typically in the protocol or for, for a visit. So typically we have questionnaires, we have labs, so phlebotomy, and scans, right? So we're talking x-rays, MRIs, ECGs, stuff like that. That's the typical. Occasionally we'll have a biopsy or something like that, but, but if we run into a biopsy or we run into an infusion, 
right? So something that's challenging as far as transporting the IP. Let's just do it from the clinical trial side. Let's do it from the other side of the parking lot. So uh, I think that's some of the beauty of it is that, you know, I mean, for better or worse, maybe, I mean, the site can manage that. However, it may be depending on the patient, the patient preference and the particular visit. I mean, there's no hard and fast rule. It's a tool in your tool belt. You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, I mean, some visits maybe aren't going to be uh, a good idea to do via the, the window. And the nice thing is, I mean, MedVectors understands that. They're not trying to force you to use it all the time uh, necessarily. So, you know, again, at, at that point, you, you're kind of able to manage that according to what makes the most sense. And, you know, you know, some are some could easily be done that way and some can't. So ideally to make it patient centric, if the patient already has an appointment with this specialist, Ideally, we as a site would like to screen them or randomize them on that date. Yes. So they're already there. Yes, yeah, but, yes, yes. but this is not a great screening tool. So this isn't a kiosk that we want to set up at a treating physician's office. But, but yes, if we do know that a potential candidate is coming in for an appointment, yes, we would want to use that as a screening visit. Um, but but this isn't something that's just going to sit in, you know, physician practices um, and every patient that walks through is going to try to participate, you know, in a study through MedVector. That's not what we're trying to do. Yeah, but I think to go back to Dan's earlier question, it, you almost incorporate these as, as you would your normal sites, right? Like, you know, who's coming in maybe this week, there might be a good fit for your trial. Physician gets a heads up. Uh, if the, they have a brief conversation with the patient, you've already seen the records, you know, I have a pretty good idea if they're going to pre be good to, to screen uh, based off of some, some light pre-screening. Uh, and then they can, they have an appointment at 10, at 1030, they're going to hit the, the window and you could go through a screening visit, right? A true screening visit, not a, not more of a pre-screening conversation. Right. So with again, it's almost, it almost gets incorporated. Yeah. I say, yeah. Depending on again, what your, what your setup is, I think, uh, yeah. In, in many see, ways, again, it kind of falls in and is operated similarly to how we would work with a lot of our clinics here. You know what I mean? I We're just not standing there all day long, waiting and hoping that someone agrees. Yeah. And I could see maybe screening, like that really early screening visit being okay at that local specialist. But like what Scott was saying, definitely when you get into like a baseline visit or something, oh, yeah. there's a lot of crazy stuff to do, then just do it at the site. Well, it's I see the, this, like, yeah. for the study I have right now, it's pretty intense screening. There's, like, 10 tubes of blood. So I would, if I'm using this, I'd say, okay, hey, let's do the e-consent. You're already at your doctor. Nice to meet you. Um, we'll do the e-consent right now, and sometime this week, come to our site. We'll draw your blood and do all the hard stuff. And then I, I don't see them necessarily being on this beyond that. Uh if they are just across the street, I do see this used if they're like in a like rural area, like further out from the site more often. Well, right? so Dan, this is this is where the site side sees it very often. This is where pharma sees it very often is, oh, well, once the patient is enrolled, they're just going to do everything from the clinical trials. But the problem is, is that violates the, the, the confidence that the treating physician remains the treating physician. So the goal of MedVector is really to align the incentives between the treating physicians and the investigator teams so they start sharing patients. And so the, the, our goal should be to have as many appointments as possible from the treating physician's office. That should be our goal. And eventually get to the 100% MedVector model, right? Which means every appointment is utilizing MedVector 
and we're using, you know, lo you know, local services. And this is kind of the first step closer to DCT. But the real benefit there is, well, then now we can start working with patient recruitment companies and they can extend their, expand their footprint to a national footprint. So now we can identify patients from anywhere and connect them to your sites. But these physicians are going to start charging us rent because they're used to seeing their patients like every three months. And in these studies, we need like two visits a week. So yeah, they're going to say, hey, where, right they are. where am I going to put this guy, you know, every like twice a week, like have him go to your office instead. Well, so Medvector is a payer. So ah, Medvector, we forgot yeah. this little tidbit. Yeah. And guess, uh, well, I mean, that's exactly what <laughs> CRPN was going for. Is I see. We want to be a preferred payer for healthcare. Facility. So you guys will pay the, I mean, that changes the, the paradigm a bit. No wonder that guy said yes so quick, Brad. <laughs> Yeah, and the, and, the, and the payment is good, right? So, I have a question. Sorry. Yeah, hi, Monica. Hi, Monica. <laughs> hi, good morning, everybody. <laughs> uh, this question might be already answered. Sorry, I came late. <laughs> if it's answered, I will watch the, the initial part of the video later on. Um, it, uh, my question is in regards to HIPAA, because I know if we get, uh, uh, I mean, how, if we get a, a access to the EMR, how much access are we getting in order for us to assess if the patient might qualify or not? How are we going to know if the patient is coming to the visit or not? Because in the past, we had an agreement with a doctor that had a large pool of patients and uh, they say yes, uh, they work, they, they the, the doctor was actually our PI, right? They say yes and everything like that. But then when it came to actually sending the patients, the staff, uh, his staff forgot about it. So we needed to go there to actually um, uh, reach out to the patient and basically sit in the, in the living room to, to access to these patients, right? But at the same time, is it, it became a little bit of liability for the doctor because why you're the patient was what you're telling them that I have this condition and and uh, that I I'm, I'm gonna uh, that that I might be able to participate in that study, right? So it's like yeah. the information there is almost every yeah. single institution has the same clause in their patient privacy agreement whenever they come into the office to sign that their records are subject to education and research. That's, that's how you do all kinds of preening. Now, now, I can't say that for your doctor's facility, but I can tell you that every single institution that I've worked with, that's built into their privacy policy. So if a patient comes in and says, why are these people talking to me? And, and I, how do they know about this? They just point at the privacy policy and say, oh, say, you know, research was part of the privacy policy. This is just part of that. Okay, and how about us accessing the EMR? Isn't that still research-based? If no, it's for research, BAA. Like yeah. if you have a BAA too, then you're you're covered uh, yep. the same as them. And uh, another thing to remember that is that the the patient feels like they're participating from their physician's office, so there shouldn't be any red flags from the patient from the first place because now their physician is offering clinical trials as a care option. We are not trying to onboard physician practices to act as referring centers for all of your studies. We want to find the ones that are appropriate and then work with those appropriate specialists that are local within your community to unlock that door. 
Okay, so for example, let's say we have access to a EMR. Now we know which patients might qualify. We should be calling them and telling them, hey, uh, we think you might be quali- yeah, see, uh, able to qualify in this. That is because tricky. That, that, that happened to me in the past. That's, that's, why, that's why I'm asking because uh, it happened. We called them and then they start feeling suspicious why my doctor is sharing my information. Mm. This is not in the doctor's office. I was never told about research. Yeah, that's and that's a that's a good question. And even even sometimes, you know, we, that comes up with just normal referrals. Someone will refer a patient, and then we'll call them and like, who are what are you? Who are you? Why are you calling me? What is this? I do think uh, the using med vector kind of pulls the physician in a little more. I mean, the physician's office can make that call, or uh, again, they can be mentioned to them while they're in the office. I think yeah, that's that's a little bit of a tricky area and a conversation I've had before in making sort of the cold calls because it is they're going to be like. Who are you? Why did my doctor give you my information? And, and that's uh, and also we have to be sensitive to that. That's also the, one of the concerns of partnering with a large data set, right? Because now you can't say I'm calling on behalf of Dr. So-and-so because you don't know who their doctor is or you don't have a relationship with their doctor. So if they then call their doctor and the doctor says, I know nothing about this, that's one of the challenges of, of partnering with a major data system rather than an individual practice. And so if you call one of these patients for uh, on behalf of an individual practice and they call their doctor and say, why am I getting a call about research? The doctor can say, this is something I'm offering now. And then that alleviates a lot of those concerns. Chris, um, you have any questions before I get to the community and then I'll save one I have for maybe the end. Uh Oh, that one scares me. (laughs) It scares me too, but I mean, it needs to be discussed. Well, I don't really have any questions. It's just more of a perspective. So, well, one, uh, patient recruitment. I mean, patients are already hesitant enough when it comes to participating in research. So what you're discussing there in terms of just cold calling patients, I, I just don't know how successful that will be. I mean, the industry is very reliant upon the in, the investigator or better yet, the patient's doctor to recruit these patients. And if it's not the doctor speaking to them directly, uh, oftentimes there's failure with recruitment. Um, but, but more importantly, um, during COVID, this was really rolled out significantly, DCT, um, just because, you know, at this, the first year or two of COVID, everybody was very hesitant about human contact. So uh, studies that were, that were going on, a lot of them were offering DCT. So they were given the option, these sites. Um, you can either see the patients in person at your site or we'll make arrangements with some, some vendor that will go to the patient's house and take care of everything, DCT, right? Um, not one site took up the DCT part of it. And they were even hesitant about seeing the patients, but they wanted nothing to do with DCT. And the reason was it was all financial because the money that they would have made by the patients coming to their site was taken from them. Their budgets were cut in half and they just wanted nothing to do with it. Why am I doing research when I'm making half as much? Not one. Not one took that initiative. And I probably negotiated, I don't know, 
300 budgets during that time, during those two years. So 300 unique budgets. Um, so I, I, that's the problem with, with DCT. And, and if you could pay the sites the same, regardless of whether or not the patients are seen at their site or at home, that works. And a lot of these sponsors were offering, some offered three solutions. It was a vendor at your site, or you can send your own personnel to the patient's home and be paid like the vendor, right? They didn't want to do that either because it was still more costly for them because they had to pay their employee an hourly wage to drive out there, and et cetera. Even though the sponsors were paying for that, they, they didn't want to do that either. So, so this is a great, a, a great point, right? And, and it's something that, uh, that, that we haven't talked about yet. So MedVector, unlike DCT, is a variable utility, which means your site should continue recruiting the way that you're recruiting because a walk-in participant is going to be the most profitable and probably just logistically the easiest. So keep doing that. And if you have all the patients that you can handle doing that, well, then you don't need MedVector. What MedVector does is it unlocks access to the patients that you wouldn't otherwise have access to. So it doesn't fix everything, right? So there are still complexities as to who does the outreach to the patient originally. Is it the physician practice? Is it the site? Um, or is it a third party vendor that you guys have figured out how to do it? But the, the point is MedVector will unlock access to the patients that you don't have access to. And so, if, and in and, and huge amounts, I mean, we've seen a 10 X in uh, high tower studies, right? So, so, in that volume, and not every vo not every patient is going to walk the same path. As in, appointment one is done at the clinic. Appointment two is done at the physician practice. Appointment three is done at the physician practice. That's DCT, right? To where everybody walks the same path. With MedVector just being a utility, some physician practices are going to have different capabilities than others. So some physician practices we might do four of ten. Some we might do eight of ten. Some we might not, we might only be able to do two of 10, but if that still motivates the treating physician to refer patients, hallelujah, that's the goal. Access to patients. Scott, can I, I almost, so just from what you were saying, it, it's kind of like, it sounds like what you were saying was by utilizing MedVector, money doesn't come to the site. And, no. and, and I, I, I think <laughs> so just to confirm and just to validate med vector utilization across local specialist offices equals working with those local specialists, getting them revenue they need for the services that they perform on behalf of the patients and allowing the site an increased level of productivity so that they can have increased margins. Yeah. So a couple of things on that one, Chris, I know why I, I recognize fully why the DCT venue and COVID didn't work. And a lot of that had to do with the sponsors making the decisions for the sites. Here are your two options we are offering you. That's exactly opposite of MedVector. This is literally, here's another tool in your toolbox as a site to increase your community outreach at your discretion to do things according to what works in your community. And on top of that, you're going to increase your productivity, increase your margins, and have a really good financial relationship with your local specialists because they get paid 
for ref well not for referring but they get paid for the services that they perform on behalf of clinical research yep so site-centric site controlled increased margins increased productivity christian no. chris Go ahead, monica chris Sorry, do you have a <laughs> i heard my name and that's all i heard yeah is it chris do you have a conference room at do your I site have yes so that conference room can now be six uh, uh, appointment uh, uh, rooms can be because you're using the med vector window. The patient is actually somewhere else and you could put up cub cubicles and have uh, coordinators with headphones on. So now you've just created six new rooms in your facility. Sure. Sure. No, no one will be so able to see him though. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question now that we're talking about financials. Who's going to pay for the service of Victor? Perfect segue. This is a question we got here. Yeah. So, so uh, this is kind of a, a two-part question, right? So there's, there's different layers of MedVector. So right now, while MedVector is this new concept, it, we, the FDA is considered it a site utility. Okay. So it doesn't need to be written into the protocol. This is something that you guys can begin using today. While we're there and while we're trying to force some adoption, we're paying for it. So we're VC backed. And right now, all of those expenses, MedVector is covering. And, and our goal is to cover it for 12 plus months. And, and any patient that is enrolled during that period will continue to be you know, a free patient for the length of that study. So that's what we're doing right now to try to force some adoption. Now, that still doesn't answer the question of how much is this? What is this going to look like for me in the future? Okay. So what we've figured out, uh, and this is with talking with sponsors and an interesting thing happened actually, when we were talking with sponsors at first, we were trying to sell directly to the sponsors and saying, look, you should use MedVector and just pay for the expenses for your sites to begin using this. And they went, Ooh, yeah, you know, this is really cool, but not my study. You know, the kind of typical knee jerk reaction that, that we get from ClinOps. Then we brought on an FDA guy, and this FDA person is the same person who was the author of the e-source guidance. So a very senior person at the FDA, and he said, why are you selling to pharma at all? This is a site utility, a site decision. This is no different than if the, the patient decides to take Uber or the bus to the uh, clinical trial site, right? MedVector is just another vehicle to bring the patient to the site. We said, all right, that's interesting. So we went back to the sponsors and we thought we would get huge pushback when we said, look, we're no longer asking permission, but we want you guys to not freak out when you see your sites doing it. So let's have a conversation so you're familiar with how it works. We thought we'd get huge pushback from that, but instead the opposite happened. They went, really? You can do this and I don't have to put my name on it? Yeah. So essentially what we had done is we had de-risked the decision from, from the sponsors and then they got really excited about it and they helped us brainstorm about ways that sites can pay for it. So one of those ways that sites can pay for it is with your discretionary marketing dollars, right? So we all know if you find something that is enrolling, they'll 4X your marketing budget if you've got something that's working. So this is one way that in the future sites will be able to afford to pay for the med vector differences. Hopefully we will have contracts directly with the sponsors to where these expenses are covered. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say because not often oftentimes some sponsors don't provide a budget for um 
advertisement or sometimes they bought you this very little because now they say well we have a central campaign sorry <laughs> but uh we're investing in this so you're gonna get this much on so advertisement. If, if they give you this much and you show that your enrollment went up by two participants they'll give you more and then if you show it went up five participants they'll give you more yeah, some sponsors are more generous than others, but the, but believe me, there are so many that. <laughs> I mean, okay. I think even if, I think even, even as a as a site, like you know your your business model. I mean, if you if you're peeling off some of your per patient visit because you're taking up time and space in a physician office, I mean, yeah, I think you you might have to make that calculation. You know, some studies it may not be worth it, some visits may not be worth it, but ultimately, generally speaking you know, some extra overhead or something that needs to go towards that treating physician office is still going to be worth it many times over at the end of the day. If I can enroll 15 patients I didn't have before. You oh, know of what course. I mean? that, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Monica, remember this isn't for every patient, right? This is only yeah. for the med vector patients. So you, what you're currently enrolling, that's still totally profitable for you. This is just icing on the cake to, you know, increase yeah. those volumes. I mean, I've worked with, what was it like subject? Well, you used to be able to go as a site and bid, you could do 10% of your per patient budget for every randomized patient, you know, was, I mean, that was still worth it for us. So if you, even if you're giving up percentage of your per patient visit again, so ultimately it's probably worth it again, you got to do the math, you know, still yeah. <laughs> got to think about it a little bit, be smart. And I see it like how many, how many sponsors, well, sometimes I'll do it, but there are sites out there, like they'll invest in like a refrigerated centrifuge. Right, because that will open up access to certain trials. That is a site investment. Same thing with EREG or CTMS or any of these other site-driven decisions that sites have to make an, a decision on for their organization's business. That's something that they have to do, and they pay for that out of their margins. So if you were to create a system where you were to substantially increase your productivity, and therefore your margins, you'd be able to pay for MedVector just as a site, as a business. And, and if you're it a top enrolling site. Yeah. And if you're a top enrolling site, well, there's your ROI. I'm, I mean, we always talk about going direct to sponsor, but this goes back to my whole independent contractor soapbox that everyone hates. It is the site's decision to do the business as the site. Stop trying to hardwire things to the sponsor. Okay, we will get to the question. This is a great live. Scott, you got a good product. I will tell you, you got I got I'll that preface, from Woohoo! I'll preface my difficult question. I said it would be like easy ones, but here's a difficult one because my brain goes into dark places, okay? But <laughs> I will probably use MetaVector. I can already see use cases for my site, so I'll probably use it. And yeah, Nelson. Me too. Me yeah, too. Monica, there you go, Monica. So Nelson says, hey, you know, we rely on Dan and Brad and the rest of us to test products, give us reviews. We're going to get to the questions. I will use it. Here's my concern, Scott. <clears throat> For a, So pre-COVID, there was this huge movement. I don't know if people forgot. We got to remind them if they did. Virtual trials. And virtual trials, I did not like at all as a site owner. So... The concept was, let's take like one site in each state. If it's a big state, let's have three. And let's just do visits remotely. Hey, we don't need like 10 sites in California. We only need two. And we don't need 
five sites in Oklahoma. We only need one or maybe none. I didn't like that. Obviously, sites don't like that. It didn't work. I don't know why it didn't work, but it didn't work. We have ideas. That's another podcast. Okay, what's to tell me? This requires a level of trust between me and MedVector, and I know it's not your business model now, but I don't know what your business model is going to be 10 years from now. What if Virtual Trials comes back and sponsors say, hey, Scott, you got all this pipeline investigators. You got these tablets at their sites. Let's just turn it on and try Virtual Trials again. In a way, I'm kind of digging my own grave because I've done the biz dev. It's a lot of work to get these doctors to sign up. Yeah, it's helping me out in the short run. But what about that long run? Like, what's to say it's not used against us at some point? Not saying it's you. It could be another competitor of yours trying to do the same thing. That's my main concern. So I have a, I have a very good answer for this. And, and this is something that we've thought about intentionally. Um, we are not creating a physician referral network. So one of the questions that we get a lot is, how many doctors have you signed up? None. The answer is zero. We're not trying to sign up any. These are your doctors. These are your relationships. So just because somebody is, is, is the f- treating physician office and your clinical trial site, MedVector is the Uber connecting the two, right? We, we, we are not trying to run studies. We are not, the, the worst thing that we could do is bombard a treating physician with every study that MedVector is doing, asking them to refer their patients for everything. That is the, literally the worst thing that we could do. This is relationship-based. This is about your physicians. So Dan, to answer your question, the, far, the sponsor is not going to be contacting me about becoming a virtual study or, or, or doing a virtual trial. They're going to say, let's see Hightower Clinical. You guys are crushing it. What if we expand your, your footprint using MedVector and now your site is the big bad wolf for this mm-hmm. study? So I like that, Scott. Salt. You're empowering us to do the virtual trial. So, and, and, and Dan, this is where we're going, okay? So this is my vision. And I haven't said this on a, on a podcast yet, okay? So this First is breaking. MedVector is bigger than this site utility, okay? So the concept of this this is this is adoption. This is getting this is getting everybody on board with the concept that the FDA does not recognize a difference between a virtual participant, or, or I'm sorry, a a participant who is at the clinical trial site virtually versus one who's there physically, right? The right. FDA is behind that according to source data because the data is identical, mm-hmm. right? So once we can get a little bit of traction there we will start to see protocols written for the 100% MedVector model, right? So right now, protocols have backdoors from COVID that allow MedVector. But it's not the 100% model yet because there still are visits that are potentially challenging, right? So once we get past that, we can start working with patient recruitment companies to expand their footprint. Once we get past that, we've figured out how to monetize big data. Because essentially what we've done is MedVector can be the HIPAA compliant barrier that sits between the clinical trials industry and patient data. 
we're already having conversations with CVS, with Optum, with Point Click Care, with LabCorp. So all of these major data companies that are looking for ways to monetize their patient data and offer clinical research, they're having to do pop-up sites right now, which isn't cost-effective. We've already seen it. But if a sponsor can upload their study to MedVector and MedVector can distribute it to everyone that wants to do their own patient recruitment, so all these major databases, we even had Finland, the country, reach out to us. Okay, So if we have all of these data sets doing their own patient recruitment and MedVector has the solution to prevent people from losing patients and generating revenue for those patient locations, which we're doing, which we've done, right? We could fill studies in months instead of years. And, the, and we are not creating sites. MedVector is not creating sites. We don't want to create sites. So it's, it's your sites, the people that are here, that are scaling appropriately and scaling with us that will have the ability to be the clinical trial sites. So, Scott, I had a question real quick. Sold, have- man. If you have a 100% MedVector model, are you looking at a MedVector independent site network in your future? No. No. I don't want it. It doesn't sound like it. But, you know, so I'm glad I asked this question because it sounds like who needs to be scared, guys, are the CROs. Because what did he just say? Instead of three years to enroll. We'll say that, Dan. I'm not no, trying I to know. Say You're not, this is not <laughs> Scott's opinion. It's mine. Scott got to play nice. I'm trying to appease the sites. I think that that's the way I see it. Um, let's get to some of these questions. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the metables of the world actually become uh, dangerous competitors to the CROs under the uh-huh. 100% med vector model because, because you still need study design, right? You still need site I selection. See. You still need uh, monitors and oversight and, and data collection and, and, and all of that then rolls up to the sponsor. So you still need a lot of those things. But as far as, you know, the IQVs of the world that are creating site networks, you know, that part of it might go away. But, but we still see the place for the CROs and the oversight that's still necessary in the clinical trial world. Wouldn't be a bad thing. Okay. Uh, let's get to some of these questions. The model you are presenting is more of a private recruitment company for patient referral and sponsor referral to the interested site. True or false, Scott? Um, I, I would like an elaboration on private recruitment company. Yesenia, you heard Scott. Let's get a follow-up. Okay. Couldn't agree more on the shades of gray. The cynical conversation takes on the moralities of physicians not referring out, where usually the reason is as simple as provision of the best care for patient. So I think yeah, Scott let's, said let, that. Let's stop beating up doctors for, for being greedy. They're not. They're they're highly competitive. Well, some are. Well, I mean, every you know every category has the. the yeah. There are bad doctors too, right? Yes. Uh, but but the majority of doctors are not in it for the money. They're in it. They're in it because they're competitive people, and being a doctor is hard, right? And so they genuinely believe that they are the best because they are competitive people. Otherwise, they would make a referral. Yeah, I got you. Uh, I think we have a system in place here in the UK called PIC, Patient Identification Center. But this seems more sophisticated. Do you know anything about this? I'm not familiar with PIC, but we uh, actually have had talks with a couple of groups in the UK, a couple of patient recruitment companies 
that were interested in expanding their footprint. Uh, so any patient that they identify, they could then send a med vector window to connect them to the existing clinical trial site. So that's that still falls under the you know the kind of the hundred percent med vector model, which which we're not there yet, but there are very interesting um, applications in social medicine. So I, I did mention that the that Finland reached out to us. So you know once we get to that hundred percent med vector model, Finland is essentially suggested they said we have five million patients, people, on our uh, on a single database that shows everything from every parking ticket they've ever got to every medication that they've ever taken because it's a social medicine country, right? So they reached out and said, so let me get this straight. If I give you access to our population, you would bring American advanced medicine to our country, do it from our treating physician practices, and then pay us pharma pricing for services that we already pay for as a country in American dollars, yeah. Yeah. I, I was already thinking. So my, my site, Yuma, Arizona, it's on the border of Mexico and Arizona and California. So they're like the city itself is pretty big. There's a lot of specialists, every specialist. But they're like we're only 30 minute drive from Mexico. So I was already thinking like use cases for this in Mexico. And there's a huge town there called San Luis, Mexico. There's a border town called San Luis, Arizona. I could probably... We've been trying to expand in that area anyways. This is why I wanted to talk to you, but um, I'll talk to you off off air. Sure. And, uh, you know, the, the conversations that we, we've had regulatory-wise around other countries. So expanding across the border a little bit, like not a big deal. If that's part of your your network, that's, you know, not an issue. Um, but the concept is, is as long as that country is allowed to be recruited by the sponsor, right? So as long as we're not directly violating protocol or pretending that these are not Mexican citizens and we're driving them here to participate in clinical studies. So as long as we're not directly violating the protocol by doing something like that, it doesn't make a difference. Okay. Uh, so the treat, uh, Patricia Cooper says, the, so the treating MD isn't the PI, maybe the sub-I or neither? Neither. In fact, the treating physician, we're simply borrowing their office and making, <laughs> and making them feel um, so nice, man. included, borrowing. right? I mean, <laughs> well, renting, right? <laughs> and so the, the, the concept of MedVector is exactly to avoid this. So we're not creating a PI. We're not creating a sub-I. And the way that you do this is, is you make sure that there is absolutely zero data written down or entered at the treating physician office. So regulatory-wise, this is, this is how it works with the FDA. So before telemedicine, data collection and data entry had to happen at the same place because there wasn't a way around it, right? Patient comes in, you measure it, you, have, you either write it down on a piece of paper or you enter it directly into EDC or something like that, right? So there wasn't a way to separate that. You couldn't have somebody remember it and then enter it later. That would be a violation. But with telemedicine... Essentially, a patient can now be at two places at the same time. They can physically be at their treating physician's office and they can virtually be at the clinical trial site. So data can be collected here and entered here simultaneously. Mm -hmm. And the FDA doesn't care about that. It's, mm -hmm. it's about the source data. It's about where is it entered. And so there are sometimes data points that are uh, uh, more important than others, right? So let's say, let's say blood pressure right? 
a lot of times these protocols will not accept a nurse to just do it manually. They will send an automated blood pressure cuff. So everyone has the same data, right? right? Well, so it's just as easy for us to include that blood pressure cuff when we send the med vector window to that patient location. And this, this act, this, this data point is not delegated to the local staff. It's observed, right? So the, the investigator team during a live telemedicine appointment would observe every component of that visit. They would observe every measurement. And if there was something that was vital to the study that needs to be verified visually, well, nurse, could you please hold the blood pressure cuff readout to the screen so I can see it? And so it's just Man. like the patient's room. I'm going to have to learn Spanish really quick. Okay, Mitch, Batman, Batman is here. Chris, there is two bat. There are two Batmans, man. Who's the real one? Um, outside of expanded care, outside of expanded access or compassionate use programs, prescribing a clinical research trial sounds like it's bordering on persuasion. Scott, what say you? So that's why we put prescribing in quotes. So it's wow. not actually being prescribed, right? So it's it's more of a thought process that feels like prescribing for the physician. And and so while the while the physician might be suggesting that this is something that the patient might qualify for, the treating physician is not doing any of the screening, right? So so the clinical trial sites that are experts would be doing the screening exactly the same way as they would if they got a lead uh, from a patient recruitment company. Mm -hmm. what, if it, what if instead you call it referring a clinical research trial and it'd be kind of like you're literally referring them to the trial? Because then it has connotations of referring away and giving patients away and the patient going somewhere else. So this is, there is actually legally, there's nothing about this that the physician is actually prescribing anything. We are just using that as, as kind of a, a, a thought placeholder. For people to understand it better. Um, this one's good from Nelson. This is for Brad. Brad! Exclamation. Tell us how many screens you've gotten through this. <laughs> Nelson's God. all about the bottom line, man. Yeah, that's true. And, and in fairness, you know, we've, we've just started. We've just started really working with MedVector. So we've, we've done a couple of live screens, but we've opened up something like, you know, an additional 60 identified patients and these are patients who are well qualified because we have access to their data to see that, you know, versus uh, your sort of cold advertising. So, you know, we're right now literally sifting through and, and working to, you know, get those patients in to do the physical screenings. Uh, wow. So, you know, right off the bat, we've identified, I mean, that's more than we've screened throughout the course of the study ourselves now, uh, times, wow. times a few. Yeah. So it, again, it's just opened up the opportunity and the access immediately. So yeah, we're getting through those. And then, you know, Nelson, I'll let you know how it goes. Again, this is kind of a new for us too, and a different different way of, of thinking about and doing things. So it's it's all been you, it's all been slow and steady. Are you guys allowed or comfortable discussing what the referring doctors are getting for things they do? Uh, sure, I, I I'm comfortable discussing that. So depending on the length of the appointment. So some of these appointments can be long, right? So depending on the length of the appointment, the treating physician would receive anywhere from $200 to $700 per visit. Wow. 
Okay. Brad, you mentioned the. This is David. David. Chris, hey, David. you know David. Even Chris knows David. Um, Brad, you mentioned <laughs> the MD. What, Chris? What do you say about David, Chris? Very nice guy. We all like David. <laughs> How could he not? <laughs> okay. Brad, you mentioned the MD you worked with was 90 minutes away. Is there a distance from the site you would not want to go beyond? I don't know that that's clear yet. Uh, I think 90 is a nice spot because you can get there without, you know, it's something if you need to be there, you can get there, even though it's a little bit of a pain in the ass. But uh, I think, again, as we get more comfortable, uh, I think distance becomes less of an issue. Um, but again, I think it's hard to say uh, right now. But ultimately, in time, I could see, you know, that expanding greatly. In the beginning, it is best to start with the concept of across the parking lot. So the reason for that is when sponsors come in um, and, and they go, well, but the patient is over here or, or how are you doing this logistic? A lot of that can be answered simplistically by just saying, walk it across the parking lot. So, you know, if we're talking about informed consent and let's say the sponsor is, is, you know, really adamant about wanting a wet signature and really adamant that they want the patient and the investigator to sign it on the same day. By the way, the investigator does not have to sign it the same day. I don't know if everybody knew that, but that's that's true. Dang, um, can we get that in writing? Uh, not from me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so it's, it's, the, it's the patient signing it on the date that is the, is the more important part. So you could essentially... FedEx it and then have the investigator sign off on it, the, you know, the, the next day. But if somebody is really adamant about getting that the same day, walk it across the parking lot, right? It the closer you are, the easier it is to, to facilitate that appointment. And again, even if the patient, if the physician practice is next door, like, like 15 steps, this isn't about ease of use for the patient. Okay. We still want to facilitate that appointment from the treating physician's office, even if you can hear an echo through the wall of the med vector device, because this <laughs> is about engaging that local specialist and making them feel included. And th there's, there's a ton of benefits that surround this uh, as far as patient safety um, by including the treating physician anyway, because we all know when, when, uh, when a patient has an adverse uh, reaction, they go to the hospital or they call their doctor. They, a lot of times they don't think about, oh, well, maybe this is a side effect from medication <laughs> yep. you're taking. Yep. And then the treating physician says, well, I don't know. And, and potentially could prescribe something that either kick them out of the study or be potentially dangerous. Right. So having that, you know, that buy-in, even at the very, very low level that this patient is part of a clinical study is actually uh, much safer for the patient. Mm -hmm. Well, I think of the distance question too. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, there are doctors in the same building that I'm in that you're holding in their hand a lot. So you don't want to create a situation where you also can't, if you need to, I can run, I can run down the way and help this doctor through, through an issue. Uh, if they're 400 miles away, well, you know, you gotta, you might have a problem there. So I think just keeping it, <laughs> keep it simple, stupid, especially in the beginning. Well, you got the fart mode on the Tesla. So you're good. That's true. <laughs> Chris, good Chris got the Corvette. All right, just two more, <laughs> two more questions. Um, then thank you so much, Scott. By the way, shout out to Dr. Cooper. She's one of our brilliant students. 
Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah, shout yes. out to Dr. Cooper. That's awesome. So the MD would be talking to the patient first, and the patient agrees to speak with the site. That's a good logistic. I like that, Dr. Cooper. Ideally, having that candid conversation from a trusted physician to their patient, that would be um, a really good logistic. That's one yeah. of the ways. That makes sense. The, you know, how this path works is kind of between the, the site and the physician, right? It's, it's who wants to make the initial call. Do we want to do the initial conversation during an appointment that they're already coming into the office for, you know, an, another interesting uh, point to make here is these, a lot of times these treating physicians are looking for touch points for their patients. So they're a specialist, you know, dealing with a, a chronic ailment and the patient all they really want is they, is you know a prescription, and so you know they stop becoming motivated coming in for their yearly physical or 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 checkups. So this this is an interesting way for physicians to reach out to those patients and say, hey, this I have something that might be helpful to you. Why don't you schedule an appointment and come in? And then during that appointment, the physician can bill for the traditional services as far as the the annual checkup, and then we can also bring in the med vector window to where to where, you know, uh, the clinical trial team can do, you know, a proper screening. Okay. We got it. We actually have one more. Uh, do you mind vet? Do you find med vector is typically better suited for the more specialized trial where the patient is afraid to be at another doctor's office away from their PCP because of the severity of their indication? You know, I, I would say that med vector is, is more about unlocking access to the patients than it is for ease of use for patients, right? So mm. yes, from the patient perspective, I believe that there, there is some, um, some value in participating from the treatment physician office rather than driving to investigator site. Dropout rates are a lot less. So I, you know, Christopher, I don't know if you have um, experience with you know, a chronic ailment right? Or if you have a relationship with a specialist, I do. Um, and, and my, my specialist saved my life, right? So I, I couldn't walk and I was admitted into the hospital and he popped his head in and no, nobody could figure out what was wrong with me. And he popped his head in and he said, I think I know what's wrong with you. Anybody seen you yet? And I said, no. He said, can I be your doctor? I said, yeah. And he walked in and four hours after he gave me a medicine, I was walking to the bathroom. So this was, this was a big kind of game changer for me. And the relationship that I have with this specialist, he's one of our investors, right? Wow. He, he, he is somebody that I consider a friend. He's somebody that if I moved to Texas, I live in LA, by the way, if I moved to Texas, I would fly to LA for my appointments to meet with him. So if I'm participating in a clinical study for my specialist that I have this much faith in and I would never let him down. Scott, where in LA are you? Where in LA? Yeah. Uh, well, so I live downtown proper. Oh, okay. I am in LA. So, <laughs> so Chris, just that point right there, that's, that's the autism spectrum right there. Same thing, kind of like with what Scott was saying, that very defined relationship with his physician where he won't let him down. Um, Sometimes, especially in the autistic community, there are literally people with autism who 
they have to be conditioned to go into their doctor's office. You'll be lucky on one day to get them to go into the doorway of the clinic and just in progress over the course of a couple of hours, get them to take two steps and then come back the next day and try to go in just a little bit further. So as you start to create this trusting relationship in an environment in the autism community, um, that would be a really good case study for MedVector. So you could literally, mm-hmm. uh, this Scott, this might go back to making it convenient for the patient, but also developing that relationship with the physician and with the patient. Yeah, Scott made it very clear. Well, there are elements of patient centricity. It's really site centricity first because of unlocking the access. But that by default is also patient. If you make if you make something site centric, you're making it patient centric too. And physician centric. Yeah. yeah. This is cool. So I'll use it. Um, I'll sign up, and uh, my coordinators will hate you, Scott. But I think everyone else will love you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for uh, coming on and not dodging any questions. It's rare to have a CEO of a VC back company be so open. So. Thank you. Respect to you from me. Um, and let's do it again. I, anyone else have anything to say on the panel? Dan, you gave me chills. I was, I was worried about you. <laughs> well, on, so man. we got like two minutes. So Scott, tell me, how are you going to save our sites? Ah, very good. We're empowering you guys, right? We, we, we recognize that, that you are the ones that are doing all the hard work. So there's, there's an interesting concept, and, and Brad and I have talked about this one. Um, everyone looks at the FDA like the big bad FDA, right? And sponsors kind of squeeze you guys and they, they, they put it on the, well, the FDA says, or this has to be pre-approved. That's actually not true, right? The FDA is on our side, right? What does the FDA do? FDA is looking for efficacy, patient safety, and data integrity. And so if you do those things as a site, the FDA is behind you more so than the sponsors behind you, which is an, a weird concept, right? So what the wow. FDA says is they say, if you do something that, that works within the current guidance, it needs to be defensible. So everybody thinks that things need to be pre-approved by the FDA. That's not actually how it works. The FDA writes very specific language, and then they want to see what you're doing and they want to understand why you're doing it. And that's called having a defensible position to what it is that you're doing. So a big part of what we do at MedVector is we, is we create the, def, the defensibility playbook for our, the sites that are working with us. So if you run into a site monitor, if you run into an auditor, um, if you run into somebody that, that, that doesn't get it and is asking hard questions, you have this defensibility playbook that protects you. Love it. There you go. Ted Bardison. If interested in more specifics with MedVector, call or email scott.stout at medvector.com. There's his cell phone number, ted.bardison at medvector.com. Who is this? How did you get my number? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyone else? Final words, goodbyes. Hey, I, I got to go, guys. I got to call here in three minutes. Thanks, so. Chris. Chris, thank you so much. Nice meeting you, Scott. It's nice uh, seeing you, Chris. 
Yeah, it was nice seeing you again. Good joke, Doc Fox. Have a good day, everybody. Great to see you, man. Uh, Okay. Well, anyone else? Thank you, Scott. Thank you, everybody. This was great. All right. Thanks, Scott. Like, subscribe, comment, share, Guru Nation. Catch you all later. I'll test out MedVector. Bye-bye.